Hey, it's BT. This episode of Tales from a Gemini is with Josh Denny. Josh Denny, I met him about oh, probably less than 20 years ago. He was, I think it was his first opening gig. Uh, he opened up for me. I love his enthusiasm as a comic, and it's still there. And this guy, he definitely has opinions, and he definitely stands on them, and he stands on them with, with authenticity, and he believes what he says. There's no fakeness here. And he talks about the right to free speech. We get deep off in it, and it is entertaining. It's funny, and it's intelligent. One of my favorite podcasts of all time. You get a chance to watch uh, Josh Denny, watch his podcast, Jinkum. And also, he's gonna, he'll be at, uh, in Orlando June 25th. So I hope you enjoy this podcast with Josh Denny. One, two, one, two, three. Yeah, it's Big T with Tales from a Gemini. Man, I think the last couple of weeks I've been keeping it real with my roots and stand-up comedy and everything. And right now, this guy, I remember being in Minnesota. I'm going to do a show, and this guy was just so into like comedy. Man, he was like just, you know, asking me questions. And I loved it because it was like it was like he was a white me. He was just really trying to soak it all up. And he was like, ask me questions when we went out to eat. And I was like, yeah, man. But I loved it because it was an enthusiasm that if you didn't, if you took it the wrong way, you're like, man, what is wrong with this motherfucker? But it was it was it was organic. It was authentic. And he was just into comedy, even into it. And even now, I think we lost touch a little bit. And then I look on Twitter, and this guy's fucking killing it. And he has a stance. And let me tell you something, man. He has a stance where not everybody's going to agree with it. But I know this guy. And so if you don't know him, you're going to, if any of you, I can't say stupid, but if you don't know him and unaware, you look at it and go, man, this guy's a fucking racist or this guy, this and that. But I know this guy. And I, and I had to have, I had to have him on because I know you don't shy away from topics that people tend to shy away from. So that's why I had you on because I know you and I know your heart. And that's why I had you on. So I, we're going to kick it. But first of all, welcome to the studio. My man, Mr. Josh Denny. How you doing, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me, man. No, I mean that, man. I, you know, your tweets. I was like, this motherfucker here is fucking lighting. The, he's he's lighting the firecracker like like at Looney Tunes. You're lighting the firecracker. And watch it go, and you don't give a shit. And I and I honestly, how do you not? How have you not been suspended from Twitter? How it's a ama- it's amazing, right? I I always joke with people. Well, number one, I think it's because I'm pretty good at not violating the terms of service, right? So I don't like ever get into back and forth with people or I don't, I don't ever really call anybody names or direct any of my stuff at any individual person. A lot of it is really just sort of phrased in the form of a question of, you know, hey, have you ever noticed this? Or what do you think of this? And so I think uh, that's one of the reasons why, but it was weird to people, you know, it's so funny with all the different controversial topics I've weighed in on over the years. The only tweet that um, uh, they ever made me delete that ever got flagged was a joke I made about the singer Billie Eilish. And what'd you, uh, what'd you say? What'd you say? I said her music is so bad that we should have given Michael Jackson as many children as he needed. <laughs> and, uh, and they were just like, you got to take this down. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, I told you he went like, hard in the paint. I told you the, he went hard in the paint. That's well, you the know, only one that ever got flagged for removal that I had to take down. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, but you don't like Billie Eilish? You don't like her? Well, it was when her it was when her documentary came out, and I was like, Oh, she's such a brat. Did you ever watch her doc? No, nah, no, I just was like, How does she have a concert? Because all her music she sings. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like soft white girl Like you you and I bonded when we met. First of all, uh, thank you for the nice words about enthusiasm towards comedy. But you were the first comedian I ever emceed at a club for. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, honestly, I remember that. And, 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 you know, like, I'm not even kissing ass. It's the truth. I just fucking love that you were, like, so into it. You weren't full. I mean, it was just, just like I said, it was unbridled enthusiasm that you fucking want from somebody. I want somebody to be like, hey, man, you, you're wide-eyed. But the thing about it is, knowing now... You actually came into comedy knowing about the mic and being on stage because you came up in the punk rock bands and the, and, the, and you knew all about rock and roll. Your dad was a musician. You played guitar. So you knew all about that shit in the first place. Yeah. And we bonded over like both loving like metal music and punk rock music and stuff. And you're and a Limp Biscuit fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. I was a huge Limp Biscuit fan. I loved all that new metal stuff. That was the, that was the era I grew up in. And, um, 
Yeah, we we like it was what I loved about you when I met you was like you were into motorcycles and rock music. And that's what I grew up with. And I was like, that's amazing. And the thing that I always loved about you as a comic watching you on stage, first of all, so much fucking energy. But uh, I loved that you would often surprise the audience with their assumptions about you based on race. And you're like, no, nah, I'm into all kind of shit you might not expect. And yeah. so. You know, I, I think we kind of hit it off on that note because that's kind of what I grew up with, right? I grew up with a lot of people looking at me being this freckled faced white kid and not realizing like I grew up with a black stepdad. I grew up around black people. And so there was this um, a lot of assumptions made about me just based off of my exterior. And then people, you know, I, I started doing like black clubs and stuff when I first started in, in the Midwest you know, riverboat shows in Gary, Indiana. Oh, and, shit. Oh, shit. You know I, I mean? wouldn't even it's, do a riverboat show in Gary, Indiana. I know. It was it was dicey. <laughs> but I mean, so it was so much fun in the beginning stages of like, uh, of comedy, of being able to surprise the audience with, you know, things that they wouldn't assume about you. You know what? And, and the thing about that is, what I, what I like about it is, it's authentic, though. It's not like, hey, yeah. I'm going to make up like, you know, some comics, and you know what I'm talking about, especially especially being in LA or just comics period they come in they act like there's something on stage you get off stage like wow you're nothing like you fucking talked about I mean I just like a, a fact that you go on stage and you are who you are which I, I don't like that facade I just like a person who you know good and well that motherfucker is the same person on stage as he is off stage there might be a little bit of degree of difference but yeah I try yeah, to be there's always the gonna be some exaggeration on stage of course right yeah, of course, but I like the, the the authenticity of, yeah, man, this is who the fuck I am. And that's why, I don't know about you, but it was the ostracization, at least for me. And maybe it was for you. I don't know how it is on your side because, you know, you grew up, at least the way we grew up. Like, how old are you? How old are you? Uh, I'll be 39 in August. Okay, you're a little bit younger, but, but you know, yeah. it's like the same thing as, like, you know, they expect this from me. And if you grew up in a certain neighborhood, at least I did. And, like, I always say I was black until fourth grade. And then <laughs> when they found out I like Kiss, it was like, what? And they were like, you ain't nothing but a white boy. You want to be white? And it was like, whoa. But then I would go to school. We got bused to a white school. And so, I mean, well, you know, it was predominantly white. So they were like, oh, you like Kiss? And so I had my white friends there. But then I get on the bus, and it was all black. And then I go back to the black neighborhood. And it was like, you white boy. And so. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was that yin and yang. But you know what? That taught you know what that taught me? I don't know if it taught you, is individualism and like, yes. you know what? Fuck these people. I can be alone and be happy. Or I can be now, I can be comfortable in any group and I can go, I can mix and match. Like no matter where I go, I can hold a conversation with anybody about anything and feel comfortable, but always be looking for the exits. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> well, it's like it's just about being cultured. It's just about having, you know, exposure to different cultures and stuff. And, you know, I don't know about you, but my parents, like, probably not even necessarily intentionally just did a good job of exposing me to a lot of different culture growing up. And, you know, and then and, and I think in some ways, like, you know, uh, and maybe you've had to navigate this in your life, but like some ways it made me too comfortable around everybody because I kind of grew up with, you know, I kind of grew up with um, exposure to everyone. And so what's interesting is like when I move, I always tell people this, like when I grew up on the East Coast, like the topic of race, for instance, was something that everybody talked about openly. And then I moved to the Midwest uh, when I was like 15. Yeah. And it was so not spoken but it was also very pernicious and evil the way that people dealt with people of color or people with different backgrounds or whatever and so i was like wow these people in the midwest seem more polite but they're actually a shitload more racist and then when i moved to la in 2009 i was like oh this is on a whole different sort of systemic level of like not only are you polite but you also do horrible shit on a deep rooted systemic level to fuck with people that are different than you. And so, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm just fortunate that I got to live in a lot of different places in my life and kind of see, um, you know, how, how race and it's, I've always had like a lens where it's impossible for me not to see things through or not to see like funny racial stuff. And I think so that's from being like a redheaded kid, because like you, it was like, 
I was never white or black. I was always a fucking ginger, and I was hated by everybody as a kid. <laughs> you were the you were the uh, the Canelo of your fucking people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like you know. I remember. I remember. I grew up like elementary school. I went to elementary school in Delaware, and we had like uh, the school was probably like I want to say like probably 60% white and then 20% black and 20% Puerto Rican. And my best friend growing up was Puerto Rican. And I didn't know we were different. Like I, in elementary school, I didn't know we were not the same until other kids started to be like, man, why are you hanging out with him? He's Puerto Rican. And then they'd be like, why are you hanging out with him? He's white. You know what I mean? And so wow. it was. That's, no, that's, the, that's the beauty of kids though. I mean, yeah. uh, it, nothing ruins a kid like adults, man. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Like now, my roommate now, she's, she's, she's lesbian and she's white and she had a kid through, uh, in vitro. Her kid is, you know, he's like Irish. Uh, his dad was Irish, or whatever. So he's white, white, white. So, but he didn't know that we're different. So we go to the pool. I mean, he just plays with kids who are just kids. And I don't think, and I don't think we've laid the heavy shit on him yet. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. just playing with whoever. And it's funny because we're at the, we're at the pool one day and he's playing with these black kids that are older. Like these, these like, you know, teenagers, or maybe 12 or 13. And he's like six. So I'm like, hey, man, listen, you got to be a big boy. And he goes, okay. And they're playing football in the pool. And he's throwing the ball back. And like, yeah, way to go, little man. And I'm like, good for you, buddy. And then, he, then, he, then they start going, nigga, nigga, nigga. And like, all right, we got to go. Because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> he's like. He's like, what's this new word I learned? <laughs> you, you don't want to say that. That's no, I, what, I, what I would do is I, just, I would just point to the sky and say, see what that is? That's a spirit airline. Chances are the answer to your question is inside that airplane. <laughs> 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 That's what I would say to him. But it's the truth, though. Kids are just fucking kids, man. So it's it's amazing how you learned at early age also how to navigate through that. So what did you learn? Oh, well, you got older and went to L.A. I want to hear your thing on L.A. because... I found the same thing with LA also. Like you, if you don't know going in, you think, ah, oh, this is going to be so much more different than everyone else. They're all going to be liberal and everybody's going to be one big happy family. You get there, you're like, it is exactly opposite of everything. You're like, what the fuck? I, I always say the scariest place I've ever been in my life, and I've been to 49 states. The scariest place I've ever been is Huntington Beach, California. That place was like, holy, this is like Nazi central. Yeah. I mean, well, I haven't, I didn't see that, but you know, um, I guess it was probably a different time. Like I know, like even, even in the nineties and stuff, like, do you know, um, uh, Tony K, the guy who wrote American history X, like he, he was like a hippie who lived in Venice. Yeah. And so much of that experience was like of that there, I guess there was like hardcore white supremacy in Venice in like the eighties and nineties. And, and at, when I got out here, I didn't get out here until 2009. So I didn't really ever see any of that, but you know um, yeah, it was, I think what was really shocking to me about LA is like how it is so sort of segregated by neighborhood and city, you know, still to this point. And I think there's a lot of people to this day who like, you know, um, then maybe they moved here from Stan, like they went to Stanford or they went to Yale or, and then they come to LA and their bubble of LA is like West Hollywood yeah. or their bubble of LA is like, you know, uh, uh, Silver Lake. And they're just like, yeah, it's this great, awesome, diverse place. And I go, you ain't, you've never met Mexican people who live in Boyle Heights. Like <laughs> you've lived here for 11 years and you've never left your fucking neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so it, there, it, there is like this sort of weird ignorance to what the, and what, what I'm sad about in LA is I feel like the real culture of Los Angeles is being priced out of the city. And so, you know, in the next five years, the only people who live here are going to be rich kids who went to Ivy League schools and the great Latin and black culture that built this city that everybody loves to claim when they move to this city is going to be forced out and forced to live in other places. I feel the same way too. And it's like you said before we got on, you go, man, you got out just in time. And it was like when I when I got out, it was I mean, it was about, I don't know. I, I couldn't feel that coming on then. I mean, I definitely feel it now. Like I, I, there's no way in the world I could have survived the, uh, the pandemic. 
uh, living in LA. So I'm glad I'm out when it comes to that. But now I look at now I go, man, that's, it's not going to get better. They're not going to lower the prices now and be like, you know what? We're good. Let's have, you know, let's go back to the old. It's not going to, I just think it's going to get worse. And I hate saying it because I'm an optimist, but it's like, sometimes you got to go, holy shit. It's, it's, it's a shit show, bro. Well, you have the, the worst combination of things po- like politically here because you have essentially like a lot of people who have enough money to not really give a shit. Yeah. And and so it's like one of the things that I was kind of surprised you didn't see more of in the pandemic were like home invasions, because I go, you literally have the wealthiest people in the world living seven miles away from some of the poorest people in America. And yeah. how long before they realize, like, yo, man, that gate's not that tall. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a that's a that's a fucking those are shrubs in front of their place. That's not a that's not a, a razor wire fence. Like you know, it reminds me of that scene from Star the Scarface, the ending scene in Scarface, where they all start scaling at the, the you know, and yeah. Tony. That's what yeah. it's that's what you figured be. It was like Scarface and Batman, the one with with Bane. It's like that movie is so relevant now, and I think forever be because it's you know that, that thin line between good and evil between Batman and Bane, and they're separated by this much. And if you read Bane, you understand Bane. I mean, granted, he ran off the rails, but only by this much. Yeah. I understood where he was coming from. He took up for that woman. He, he basically risked his life. That's why he got all fucked up in the face because he risked his life for that woman. And he was like he said, he was basically. He and Batman were the same and they took a different path, but that path is separated by, it's like, it's like a thin line between love and hate. And that's what it was. And that's the way I see it now because now, and we talked about this and that's why I wanted to be, do this podcast with you because I don't say arguing, but we were going back and forth because I was yeah, really yeah. pissed or I was really pissed off about what happened with the Buffalo thing. And you were, and you were talking in a tweet and I was like, this is going on too fucking long. We gotta have a, we gotta talk about this <laughs> in, in a, in a yeah. podcast, but I'm glad you understood that I wasn't yelling at you and I no, wasn't. Not at all. And I wasn't pissed off at you. And that's why we had this, because the only way I feel that you can settle something nowadays or have a discussion nowadays, is it's got to be one-on-one and it's got to be people are willing to listen without talking over somebody and it's got to be civil. And that's, why I, and that's why I did this, because like I said, I knew you, I knew you were coming from and I knew we could have this discussion without yelling here and somebody over here because nothing gets accomplished that way. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And also to it, like, I think you have to come from, a. I think now with so much, with there being so much noise on the internet, you know, like our back and forth, it's like, I know you, you know, me, we both know we're coming from a good place ultimately. And I think, you know, we just might have different views on, um, you know, on what maybe like some of the problems are, what some of the symptoms are, you know, and, and, uh, I talked about this thing a lot this weekend and, and even like on a conspiratorial level of like, you know, there's, there's patterns I start to notice with these mass shootings that scare me um, that, that really fucking bother the shit out of me. Like one of the things I mentioned to you is like, you know, I can't believe that this with the kind of chaos that ensued that this dude was like gently led into a police car, you know, and carried off. And I was just like, if I'm one of those cops, I'm shooting that fucking guy. Like when right you see head. that kind of horror, that kind of, you know, that that sort of um, like no regard for human life. And I made the mistake of like going through and watching the video and everything. And I was like, first of all, that's not some 18 year old kid. That's a trained killer. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I was like, that's that, that was like military tactical precision. Yes. And the, what scares me when I see shit like that is I go. I don't think that's a wayward kid with a shitty ideology and a manifesto. I think there's even heavier, deeper, darker shit at work um, because I don't think that kid acted alone. I think, I think he's part of something uh, even bigger and more pernicious than we want to think about or that, you know, you hope those things aren't true, but it's like, when you watch that video, you're just like, that, that is uh that is like a, that 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 was just that was a war video to me, not a not some lost kid like that. That didn't that felt much more evil and much more um, practiced and prepared for than than the way Columbine went down, if that makes sense, or like some of these other school shootings. Well, basically, honestly, what I think is, and you 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 just said that, but you said it without saying it is. You said there's something deeper. I think there's a cell. If it was any other person, if it was if it was somebody of Middle Eastern descent, 
We would say, see if there's a cell uh, in, in that area or whatever. So there's there's got to be a of, of of white domestic terrorism. Let's just call it what it is. That's yeah. domestic terrorism. So there's got to be a cell. Yeah, there's no way he he didn't have a job. He's a teenager. How do you afford body armor, a gun like that, and like you said, military precision? And video and video games don't make you that precise. Like there's a whole different. I mean, I, I don't know. I think you grew up um, uh, in the Midwest, right? Right, Oklahoma, born and raised. Did you Oklahoma. grow up hunting or doing any of that stuff? Like I grew up hunting and shooting guns and stuff as a kid all the time. I never became that good of a shot from hunting or practicing with rifles or anything like that. I mean, like that's not the first time that kid has gone through a tactical shooting um, thing. So it's like that whatever whatever he's behind, and this is where it gets conspiratorial, right? Because to me, that looks like government military training. Um, but no matter who he's, no matter who he's affiliated with, um, you know, that's not a kid who's like angry on the internet. There's so much more at work that makes that kid into that kind of killer. That's not beginner's luck. That's not, right. whoa, look what yeah. I did. Personally, yeah. I mean, it, it, like you said, since we're going conspiracy or whatever, but hey, I really think there's a cell. He's communicating with other people. And who's to say there's not some law enforcement people who are teaching him that? Yes. Or somebody involved or somebody in the military or somebody yes, or, involved. Or yeah. the, the thing I don't like to think about, but it's very possible is, is, is does, you know, when you think about like a lot of people talk about 9-11, like was that our own government weaponizing terror against us? Uh, I, I got the same kind of chilling. Somebody said to me, the words this weekend, Manchurian candidate. And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like it did feel like that where it was just like, uh, it, it, it makes you wonder like what kind of evil shit our own government might be up to, to fucking put us at war with each other. And so that was kind of where I was coming from, where it was like, when I said, uh, I can't remember what the line was where I was like, what basically what I was trying to say is like, be a little bit more cautious about how quickly we are to say that this is a gun problem or a white supremacy problem, or any of these other things. Not to say that it isn't, but it's like, when I saw that video clip, I'm like, this is so much more. There's so much more at work here, whether it's domestic terrorism, whether this kid is a, is a trained killer by our own government sent out to do shit like this, to weaponize people against each other, to create division and hate, to drive votes. Because I, you know, over these last two or three years, I feel like everything our government does is to manipulate us into voting one way or another, or, or to believe that there are these evils that really aren't there that are things that we have to fight. And I, I think our own government has gotten so good at giving us uh, bad guys to fight, to go fight against. I mean, we, I think we did it with the middle East. I mean, so I, we, you haven't known me while I've been with my girlfriend for the last 10 years, but she's Iranian. She's from the middle East and seeing the kind of like, open racism towards her people after 9-11 and even to this day with the different sort of terrorism things and things like that out there it's like it's amazing how easily i think we fell as a culture for like oh middle eastern terrorism yeah they're the bad guys for the next 20 years cool you know you hit it on the head dude i mean when i'll go back even further when the oklahoma city bombing happened and I was, I remember where I was. I was on my way to, uh, to perform at, uh, Columbia, Missouri. And I remember they, it happened in Oklahoma City. And, you know, there's, it, it, granted, it was no social media wasn't like it was now. And, I, and the re- first reports was that it was people of Middle East. I mean, they just threw it out there like that. And I go, you can't say that because I know how Americans think and I know Oklahomans. So, and something like that happened. You, put it out there like that. I knew what was going to happen. They were victims yeah. of hate crime. So I knew that was going to happen. So they attacked me and they, they, they brushed over that, how they, you know, attacked the people of, of, who look Middle Eastern or whatever. They attacked those people. And then even when they picked the old boy up, uh, Timothy McVeigh up, I mean, the, the, the guy who was, who basically put him in the, in the car and drove him back to Oklahoma City was kind of siding with him. You know, and I was like, yeah. and that's the problem we face in this, man. Like, like you said, they're pointing the finger like, and the government's trying to tell you that's the bad guy. That's the bad guy right there. So, you know, half the people here, and I don't, I hate to say this, but I just think half the people here are monkey see, monkey do. So yeah. like, yeah, that's the bad guy. If he's not white, that's the bad guy. And yeah. so they're going to do that. And then not knowing that the bad guy is really, you turn that finger and it's fucking either you or it's the people that told you that's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's all I, you know. 
like I wasn't disagreeing that we have a, a, a problem with racism in this country, but I think I almost wonder if it's the tail wagging the dog where it's like, do, does, do, are there people at work inside our government or just that are part of like these evil fucking groups that, that do shit like this to, to continue to build that division and hate. What's interesting to me is like, uh, I love what Morgan Freeman once said about racism when he was asked and uh, I think it was in a Charlie Rose interview or something. And he said, how do we fix it? And he goes, stop talking about it. Every time it starts to go away and we start to treat each other like human beings, we breathe life back into the argument of racism and hatred. And I feel like it's like every time, you know, we get a, uh, a good thing, like what happened to the fuck face that, that killed George Floyd, when you have something like that, that feels like progress. It's yes. not very long until we have something like this that feels like it sends us spiraling back to the beginning. Do you know what I mean? I, trust and, me, I hear you. It's so disappointing. To me, it's like, it's almost like COVID. It's like, it's still out there, yeah. but if we don't talk about it, then we feel like it's gone. You know what I mean? I mean, look, yeah. the, the, the cases are actually are skyrocketing in Chicago and other places. It's still there. But, hey, we're not talking about it. So it's got to be gone, right? Everything's good. But it's, well, it's still there. it's a lot of willful ignorance for a lot of these types <laughs> of things, right? Well, yeah. Listen, to me, you, you're you saying it best to me when you say it's the government at work. Because it's like this. I feel like they're telling us. Hey man, you know, we need to come together as a country at the same time when we feel like we are, then I feel like they divide us. And I'm it, telling you, BT, it's not so I'm doing a, a thing with uh, the walkaway group on Saturday. I'm speaking in LA and it's this is just from 30,000 feet pull back and go. Isn't it interesting now that 6 months away from a midterm election where the presumption is that because of the economy, the people in power, which are Democrats, are going to get there's the, everyone's saying it's going to be a bloodbath at the midterm. They're going to get destroyed because whether you liked Trump or not, uh, or whether you like Biden or not, the economy and the cost of living and everything else has been been devastating in the last you know three months even. And isn't it amazing now that we're six months out from an election cycle, right when campaigns begin, and the two things we're now talking about again are a woman's right to choose and the problem of white supremacy in America, and it just seems. Too fucking convenient in the timing to where I looked at, I look at that and go, listen, man, I don't trust this government and I would not put it past them to be training kids like this to do fucking terrorist shit in our country to, to again, perfect timing, perfect timing. Uh, six months out from an election cycle and now the left has white supremacy still a problem in America and they want to take away women's rights to their own bodies. And it's like, wow. How did these two topics come up again? Just right in time for election season? Really? I just, I don't trust it, man. I don't you know, trust it. Everything, I think everything has a conspiratorial aspect all to it. And I, hey, listen, I won't disagree with you on that. And maybe you're opening my mind to it. I mean, honestly, I mean, like right now, like, okay, because that's why I love talking to people who have maybe a different viewpoint than me, because I mean, I love that because it gets me out of my fucking head. Because honestly, I mean, I, I don't know all the answers. I think I'm thinking this way. And I'm like, now here you go. Okay, I hear you. But I just always go back, maybe because I'm older and where well, I grew up. More. Yeah, you've and seen I've seen more a little bit more. Life. But also, you know, like I said, you come from a, a, a great place because you lived in, like I said, East Coast, Midwest, West Coast. A, a black stepdad, you're white, redhead. I mean, you've got you've got a, a jambalaya of, of experiences yeah. in it that I don't. But the same way, I grew up in a rural a rural setting, and I remember seeing like uh, you know we talked about the 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 kid maybe he was trained, but I remember like like white kids in Tulsa. We'll go to the north side of, of, of Tulsa, whatever, and they throw bricks at the black kids. You know, at night, they would in a drive-by car, basically, and throw bricks. Nothing would happen to them because the cops were basically, you know, on a, a, a white supremacist also. So, I mean, I knew that growing up. So, that's why we never trusted them because we knew what was happening. And also with the Tulsa massacre, who, growing up, we heard nothing about that until no, it was, the last— It wasn't even discussed in school. Never had, discussed in school. We had Oklahoma history, and all it was was Native American history, and they never even grazed over. And only in the last, matter of fact, me and my brother talked about it. We go, he goes, hey, man, did, 
did you ever hear about this at all? He goes, he talked to people older than me, like in their 70s, 80s. They heard nothing about this. And they- That was never talked about. Never. Only now. And, and even our mayor, the mayor of Tulsa was like, I think he basically said, yeah, I think my, my people were involved in it. But, you know, and it's like, hey, man, shut the fuck up. Because, I mean, if, <laughs> if, 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 if anybody catch a case, it's the mayor of fucking Tulsa. And if yeah. we were talking about reparations, like, hey, motherfucker, you just basically indicted yourself. So yeah. shut the fuck up. But- I mean, so I'm coming from a different perspective and I hear what you're saying and it's, but it's like, to me, it's always been there. And I just think that level of white supremacy, as far as like, as far as terrorism has always been planted and always will be. And I feel that it's going to grow stronger as a perception of them losing the power is, you know, they're, they think they're losing the power. So they're, they're going to like basically take it to the, uh, the two minute drill. Like, I think that's why you're going to see more shooting of unarmed black men you're gonna see more like catching that you know like the rappers catching rico cases i never heard about this shit until just recently to uh, yeah. all, this, all this other shit i mean it's, it, but it goes back to uh, uh yeah rappers back- rappers are catching rico cases but check this out your congressman or woman can own stock in a pharmaceutical company uh mandate use their government power to mandate the products of that pharmaceutical company Use your tax dollars to pay that pharmaceutical company for that product and then participate in the profits of that product selling with your tax dollars being used to purchase it in their ownership of the stock of that company. That is racketeering on a level that is beyond what the fucking mafia did. I mean, like every single person in Congress who owns stock in one of these pharmaceutical companies that made a vaccine should be in fucking prison. Who chin checks these people? Who chin checks them? Nobody. They should be honest. I'm with you. They should be. They should be in on trial. They should be in jail. But all of a sudden, but uh, but they're immune from the law. How is that possible? Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Meanwhile, if I forget to put like something in my taxes, they they don't miss that, right? Like they they go, wait a minute, what about this W two? We we you owe us eight dollars and thirty seven cents more than what you paid us, and we're gonna fucking get it. And, and we the, want and it meter, now. The, yeah, the juice runs now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if you've ever been late paying taxes, you're like, man, they got a vig, they got the vig on this thing right away. Like they go, yeah, you actually owed it to us in April, and it's October. And even though even though you filed an extension to file late, the juice runs since April, kid. <laughs> you know, so it's like uh, it's. I just have such a over the last like few years, I have such a deep mistrust of government, and like I have friends that are on what people consider the extreme right. And I have friends that are on what people consider the extreme left. And I just don't see um, the kind of racism out of those groups one way or the other that they, that they get labeled for having. Right. And so um, it's just like by having exposure to the extremes and not even encountering people who have these like deep rooted, like white uh, ethnostate ideologies that even sometimes the media has accused them of. It's like, uh, man, is this thing, I, I would never say it's not real, but is it what the media makes it out to be? And are these things that happen that, that remind us that it's there representative of organically what's there or are they manipulating us and doing these kind of like deep state operations that make us, you know, what blew my mind on Saturday was like there were two other shootings this weekend. They had this kid's manifesto before the story even broke. And it's like that shit always like remember when that happened with that cop? Yes. That like barricaded himself, that Chris Doran case. Yes. Yes. And it's like he's in a cabin in the woods shooting at the police and they already have this dude's manifesto. <laughs> Come on, man. So it's just those kind of things. It's like, you know, it, it just. I, after watching what happened in COVID, uh, there's nothing I wouldn't put past the people in power now to stay in power. The thing, there's nothing I would, I would believe they wouldn't do to stay in power. I think personally, I think it's Hollywood, the government and the media are all in it together. It's a triangle of hate because, because think about it. You, 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 if you control the media and then Hollywood, think about it. I mean, the, the movie no one talks about is, uh, you just, you just said it, uh, uh, the, the wag the dog or whatever. Oh, yeah. 
One okay, of my remember favorite, that? My favorite of all time, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, no one talked. That movie should be brought back. That movie and iRobot should be brought back so people can go, what the fuck? That one? And the, what maybe before your time, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Which, no, this, I remember but, that, yeah. Yeah, this is a little different, but still. I mean, if you bring those movies back, you'd be like, wait a minute. And I'm a firm believer, and you get those three, okay, Hollywood can dress stuff up, make this look like this, and then like you, you get the media. You control the media. You control the narrative. So you go, oh my God, like you said, how do you get the manifesto? That's some shit to me. You you find out like, oh, and then look what we found after you killed him. Maybe three days later, maybe or two days later. But you, like you said, you found it before anything else comes out. You found the manifesto. How did that happen so conveniently? I mean, yeah, my friend, my friend Jessica Gahawi uh, was killed in the Colorado theater shooting. Um, she was a hockey journalist. I'm a big hockey fan and her and I became friends on the internet and she was one of the, you know, half a dozen to a dozen people that were killed in that uh, dark night to uh, Colorado theater shooting. And that dude, like when you, when you, when they went through and kind of exposed, like, this is what we discovered about him. Whatever, that news trickled out over six months. They didn't have everything on the day he was arrested. You know what I mean? So it's like, and then same with Columbine, like things were coming out about Columbine years and years later. And so some of these, like when it's like, uh, yep, he's a white supremacist. We got it. And I was just like, and you know what blew my mind, BT, was I was like, yo, if I'm one of those black cops, right? Right. And I roll up on you and I just see nothing but black people in the parking lot and in the, gr- I'm shooting that guy. I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw, I, I saw a grenade on his belt. I shot, I, he looked like he was going to throw that thing. No, I, I just, so... The fact that he was just sort of like politely grabbed and cuffed and put in the car, it just felt like I was watching a movie. Well, it, it was almost the same thing with the, uh, the Dylan Roof. They took him out to eat. Didn't they take him to Burger King? Yes, exactly. Exactly. But that's like, in the where? South. That's a little different. So it's yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, you know, but that, but, you know, what's interesting is like, again, if those are real cops and that's a real, I would have took that dude to, out to eat at Burger King and they would have never seen him again. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's just like. Yeah. I just don't understand, uh, you know, some of these like some of these white supremacy shootings to me are just too clean. They're just too clean in the sense of like uh, and, and we've never had I mean, like the dude had racist shit written on his gun and it was shot first person like a fucking uh, like a call of duty or something. And it was yeah. like uh, if I, <laughs> I tweeted a joke about Billie Eilish. I got taken down immediately. You're telling me this guy live streamed a shooting and it didn't get pulled off the platform. And it was somehow, I loved all the articles that came out on Monday. Like, here's why, here's why the video lived on Facebook and Twitter. Like it's because the algorithm didn't catch it. Blah, blah. It was like, they had the excuses ready to go. Why this brutal shooting just happened to be available on the internet for everybody to see. And it's like, I don't trust these motherfuckers in Washington at all and i absolutely yeah do i think our government would massacre black people to fucking push an election yeah i do yeah. they've been doing it for 200 years i remember the, the remember the battle of uh, bamber bridge in world war ii in, in yeah. england that's one of my favorites how england basically took up for us it's a black only bar like what yeah. <laughs> i fucking love that. right right yeah i mean so it's just like you know i see those things and i go man i i I believe it. I believe it would be the government before I would believe it would be some fringe white supremacy group. Not to say that there aren't those out there, and that and that maybe they are getting more dangerous, and maybe they are weaponizing and training militarily and doing these things we don't know about. But I just think the timing is so unique, and the fact that not a single cop was like, "Nah, fuck it, he ain't making it back to the station." You know what I mean? Like when cops are willing to take the kind of risk out of hatred that, that led to the death of George Floyd. I, I don't think it wouldn't work the other way where cops would be like, nah, fuck this dude. This dude slaughtered a bunch of innocent people. He ain't making it to trial. I just don't think, and I've met enough cops to know that cops think like that. Like yeah. when somebody does some shit like that, I, every cop I grew up with in Philadelphia, that my family, you know, that were friends of our family and stuff, that motherfucker would have never made it back to the prison. Never. He would have oh, never made it to trial. Well, speaking of which, did you know any cops that were involved in that uh, that bombing of the Move movement in eighty five, eighty six? No, I don't think so. No, that was that was you know what happened there, right? No, the Move movement was um, 
they uh they were basically kind of like black hippies whatever they kind of you know wanted kind of separate separatist movement they were doing some uh uh kind of really cool things you know they, like uh, they took up or they didn't like uh abuse of animals and and this and that and they were kind of being self-sustaining they got supposedly got into a shootout with cops and so they barricaded themselves in an apartment they dropped a bomb on them in their in an apartment complex and blew up a whole city block wow. and that was that was in 85 86 and that was when i was like even as a kid, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, you blew up a whole city block to get uh, basically th- this many people. I mean, that was uh, that's st- little stuff like that shakes me to the core because it, that's me as a that's a different kind of hatred on a different level. I mean, like you watched um, the the Branch Davidians. What happened there? Yeah, okay. the David Koresh thing. Yeah. Uh, and a great, a great, uh, what was that? A mini series or whatever that ended up on Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, did you watch that one? I didn't see them. I, I was, I watched it live. So I yeah, mean, I didn't know. It was like, you probably remember I was too young when it happened, but. So I'm watching that and, and I remember just watching that they're, they're barricaded. Okay. They're waiting. And finally, I ba- basically, Janet Reno said, fuck it. We're yeah. going in. I mean, that's basically what they did. Roll tanks, roll tanks right into their compound. They fucking barbecued those motherfuckers. And then, I mean, that, that was a spark for Timothy McVeigh, whatever, and this and that. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, I mean, the government's always at the root of a lot of fucking evil. So being that, as it may, I always want to ask you, you're a big advocate for free speech. Okay. Yeah. Now, in that, do you feel that, and my producer wife feels the same way. He goes, you know, basically he thinks everything should be out there and you should be able to make your own decisions and everything should be out there. And playing devil's advocate, I go, it's almost like, okay, you see what happened with, uh, people talk, you know, what if, what if Trump comes back to with Twitter? You know, the people were freaky. I know you talked about Elon Musk and how people on the left think this about, if he comes back, I'm leaving because he's going to allow these people to come back and free speech, free speech. But, being that as it may, you can have free speech, but, and I, I think you and I both are kind of like strong-minded individuals where no matter who I look up to or I like, okay, I like this person, but if they go so far a different direction, I'm like, man, fuck this. But I think there's a lot of people who go, okay, I'm going to follow whatever they say. And like, and that's yeah, what- Yeah, and le- that's, that's a side, for instance, like, that's a side of the right and, and conservatives that drives me nuts. Like there are people that are so aligned with Trump. Trump could literally come out tomorrow and be like, I think we need to get rid of the Jews. And they'd be like, I'm listening. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there are people that are so diehard with Trump that like, even when he says retarded shit, they, they don't even, there's no divergence. And it's the same. I feel the same way with like friends of mine out here that have, have gone the other way with crazy liberals where somebody like Gavin Newsom will come out and be like, uh, yeah, we have a $98 billion surplus and, uh, you know, we're just going to redirect it this way. And it's like, and they're just like, yeah, isn't he doing a great job? And I go, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Like, you can't be so on your team that yes. you're unwilling to criticize when they do stuff that's completely fucked up. It's like it's like having your son that plays PB ball. Like, you can be like, that's my son. But you can also say, man, you fucking sucked out there today. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, seriously. Like, you couldn't catch. You couldn't run. You tripped over your own fucking feet. Jesus Christ, I love you. My, my dad said the same when I grew up playing football. I go, hey, you're my son. I love you. But you wouldn't wear this shit today. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and he would say that. My dad was just one of them old school dudes. And I wish people could have the 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 the, the balls to stand up and go, hey, I'm this. But you know what? That's wrong. And say, yeah. Instead of going, I'm I'm with you no matter what. I don't care. Whatever you say, I'm with you no matter what. And I think it's where we're at now. I feel like we're on sides and no one is going, no, man, this is wrong. You know, this is wrong. Yeah, I, I always say that in the in the culture war, I'm firmly on the side of common sense, right? And, and this is what I'll say when people talk about, like, you know, you see all the stuff on Twitter uh, that's coming out now through Project Veritas and they're, 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 releasing videos of like dudes on tinder dates taught that that are like high level executives with twitter and they're talking about like we have a responsibility to make sure that only the right information exists on our platform and we have a responsibility basically to like curate the narrative and it's like listen if there this is my philosophy on it and people don't have to agree with it but if there are white supremacists out there don't censor them yeah that actually galvanizes their ideology and it makes it feel like, look, if we weren't telling the truth, they wouldn't be trying to silence us. And then idiots go, yeah, right? 
put that, let them fucking say that shit. Bad, the best way to kill bad ideology is to make sure that it is met with a better ideology. So let those people talk their bullshit and stupid shit out in the public forum so that they can be way, uh, like woke up with opposition. Let people oppose those views and tell them why they're wrong and, and, and defeat their shitty ideology on the lack of merits of that ideology. When you make something taboo, think about it when we were kids, even with pornography. With something that was taboo, it automatically becomes sexy and of interest. And you go, oh, like, what's that? That's what the whole, that's what's sexy about QAnon, right? Is this idea that, like, you can't talk about it anywhere. They'll throw you off the internet. And then those whack jobs who get into QAnon are like, this is, it's fucking real. That's why they won't let us talk about it. It's like, so, you know, it's like, that's that's what I think is hilarious is the left thinks everyone on the right is uh, Nazi white supremacist. And the right thinks everyone on the left is child grooming pedophiles. And it's like, obviously, our nation is not just made up of white supremacists and pedophiles. I think the trips to the grocery store, uh, and probably a bad example, but I think the, the world we walk around in would be... Uh, a lot different if that were the case. It's just like a guy walking his child wife down the street, across the street from a bunch of guys in a pickup truck with crosses to burn. And, you know, so it's like, obviously those extremes are not representative of the truth, but it's like, um, I, I, so that's why I'm so pro free speech is like, let these fucking white supremacist idiots on Twitter and make them deal with the consequences of their shitty ideas. I'd rather it happen there then after the point where they get so fired up in there, and this is, I always go back to World War II, uh, Hitler wasn't made on mainstream media. He was made in beer gardens and speakeasies and underground. And, and, and there was this sort of like, you know, we're part of the resistance ideology in, in World War II Germany. And then by the time he rose to power, he had had enough time underground to really cultivate an army that was supported his ideology. If, if the German government put that dude on the news in the very beginning and he had to debate that point of view, he would have gotten he would have gotten nowhere. Right. And so in a weird way, it's like by by censoring things, you actually lend credibility to shitty ideas by doing that. You put Hitler and Don Lemon together when he first came out. How yeah. right would that be? Yeah, Don, so, Don Lemon's so, talking to Hitler, a fresh I mean, Hitler. Yeah, imagine if Hitler, imagine if Hitler was on like, you know, uh, like the five and they're like, so Hitler, blonde hair and blue eyes, but you don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Can you elaborate on that? He'd just be like, well, uh, hmm. listen, I, listen, I know it might look like I have the brown hands and brown eyes, but my grandma's on my mother's side. Now, listen to me, hear me out. And it's just like, yeah, the, the, the whole fucking argument would have fallen apart on day one. You mean the supreme race is different from you, and you should be the leader? Explain it to us. Like Hitler's, mean, so, Hitler's on the View. He does yeah, BET. Yeah, yeah. You know, Whoopi's <laughs> like, listen, you saying blonde hair, blue eyes, and you ain't even got it yourself. So you looking like an asshole on here right now. Hitler debating Whoopi. And, and then, I'm and then great with that being on there. Like, let him speak, Whoopi. Let him speak. <laughs> Listen, man. I'm just saying. Listen, I'm saying you think you're the supreme race, man. I'm I'm black and I'm Jewish, and I just I don't let's I don't like you, man. Okay, I'm just saying. That. <laughs> man, pretty good I just think it's funny that fucking if, if Hitler was around today, he'd be doing the most shitty shows. He'd be doing the View. Yeah. He'd be on fucking. He, yeah. He'd be on Colbert. And, yeah, and this is what's so funny is like. You know, these like white supremacy guys like Richard Spencer or whatever, who definitely are white supremacists. It's like, if that guy's pushing some white supremacy book, bring him on The View and show what a fucking idiot he is. That's yeah. the best. He'll not sell any books. You know, go on Oprah. Try to tell her what you think, Richard Spencer. See how many books you sell. You know, like there are very smart people in this country um, who who can debate shitty ideology. Let them do it, right? Like, so to me... Um, I think I think censorship is bad for that. I think it I think it lends validity to bad ideologies and bad ideas. And and um, and, you know, I would hate for dumb people with shitty ideas to feel like they're punk rock in some way. Yes. And and, you know, and, and for that to sort of grow in this sort of underground movement. Dude, you 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 all, you almost lost me at pornography. Once you said that, I was like, ah. Oh. 
I remember, the, <laughs> I remember the good old days when it was on the top shelf and it was and it was blacked out. You could just see the title. And yeah. it was uh, you know it was it was Playboy, which was like basically like marijuana today. And yeah. then it was like then you had the hard stuff like Hustler. You had Penthouse. Then you had We. Remember We? Oh it was, yeah. It was the abnormally large like magazine, and you were like, oh, I mean, We was a different. That was like straight up. Pure cut, uncut cocaine. That's what we yeah, was. Remember, remember to fucking trade magazines with kids you went to school with back in the day? Like, dude, I used to have to go across town and there's this barber shop, this old white guy, and he had literally stacked at his barber shop. And I would go and buy some. And I was, man, I was all of maybe 14, 15, maybe, maybe. And he goes, he had to be 18. He goes, How old are you? 18. All right. And yeah, as yeah, I was yeah. giving him the money, he goes, hold on you. 18. All right. Have a good yeah. one. And I would take him and I put him in my, in my, my, uh, my, uh, I need my, my shoe. I, I had boots on. I rode bicycle with a boot on, with boots on. It was Oklahoma. So I put my, I put him inside my boots and I'd ride back home and put him inside my album. I had like five albums, but they were like this far apart because I had porn on. <laughs> And then, How many records are you cramming into these sleeves, young man? <laughs> Dude, I mean, I literally had my six out, but they were this far apart. And I went to junior college, came back home for the from the from Your the parents break. Are like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that White Snake made a double album. What is this? <laughs> And my brother goes, Mama found your magazines. I go, really? And we never talked about it. Oh, isn't that great? Don't you miss the days when like when that kind of stuff would happen, parents would be like, We're never, we'll never speak of it. Yeah, these are the things we don't speak of. I, I yeah. love that shit, man. I love yeah. that shit. Yeah, now I can't even imagine being a kid growing up now. You just your parents grabbing you when you're six. Are you sure you're a dude? <laughs> I saw you playing with some dolls and the girls the other day. You sure you're a dude? And you're just like, I don't know. What's a dude? And they're just like, yeah, you're probably a chick now. Let's get in dresses. <laughs> or they look through your browser history. God damn, my son's a freak. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, son. This is what you like? You're like. Hey, dad. Hey, 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 hey. You know what's interesting, though? And I don't know if this is your experience, but like I found I've actually found that like a lot, a lot, there's a lot, this is like a big movement in LA. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it's like, there's this big push against pornography now. Like, and it's like, it's actually coming from the sort of extremists on both sides of the political aisle, like super religious conservatives are, have always sort of been anti-pornography, but now even like super, super liberal women are anti-pornography because they, they believe it's having a profound effect on their intimacy with their partners. And um, and I've actually found that, like, because there's so much graphic shit on the Internet that, like, my tastes have actually become more conservative and more like it's actually gone the other way by having everything on the menu. Um, like what 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 interests me or, or turns me on is like so tame compared to a lot of the shit that's out there. And so and it was it's weird. And I mean, that's just me as a personality, because as a kid, both my parents kind of always gave me ultimate freedom to decide for myself. Yeah. And in a weird way that almost reined me in where it was just like, well, I don't want to ruin the responsibility of having all of this freedom. And so let me make sure I make the right choices. And I almost wonder if that's like, if that's really like a character thing for just me, or if that's something that other people can relate to. Well, you know what, but it, but it, it makes sense because there's people. If you look about, I'm saying I, I don't know how the majority of it is, but a lot of those actresses and actors, I mean, they come from really religious families, so yeah. you know they don't that those families don't know they do that. I mean, I, you know what I mean? It's like because they don't uh, supposedly they don't look at it, so that's why they did like it was so taboo when they found out. Like, oh, like do you remember a movie long years ago with a uh, it was a uh, uh, George C. Scott? Remember that name? Uh, he played he played Patton, and the yeah. movie was. Uh, it was a pornography movie. His daughter, he was a really religious dude. I think maybe a pastor. And his daughter, and they were really, really religious. And his daughter, I remember like in the very beginning, she goes, uh, they were playing a game, her and her friend. And it was something like they, you know, touched her titty. And she was like, oh, and that was a big thing. And, and then she went off to, uh, went off to LA and she became an actor. He went to go find her. And it, it went in that seedy road about, you know, but that's why I think it is. Cause if you, like you say, if you keep it taboo and like, no, no, this is bad, it's bad, it's bad. Well, they're going to go, why is it bad? And they're going to want to see that. And it's almost like the same with those, you know, parents that let their kids drink. Hey, don't you drink at home? You're cool, blah, 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 or whatever. And I think those kids and granted, I mean, you're always, I mean, kids are basically a scientific experiment, basically. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna give you all this freedom. Don't fuck it up. And for the most part, like you said, they said free reign. So you were like, okay. 
I'm cool. You know what I mean? It's like, I won't get in trouble, but eh, this is about, this is my speed right here. I don't have to go to the extreme. Whereas a kid maybe who was like, no, don't watch this. It's bad. It's wrong. Or Jesus says it's wrong or whatever. Then they're going to be like, ah, I'm here. I'm going to absorb all this shit because it was taboo. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, and it's all, it's all our upbringing, right? Like, so you might, I've never been a guy who drinks. I've never been into drugs, but we didn't have a lot of food in the house growing up. And so what do you think I spend all my money on? And what's my vice as an adult? It's food. It's like, I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, I spend whatever money I want on food because that was the thing that like we didn't have growing up. And look and at you. You even got a job on the Food Network. You I know, yeah. He was the time. host of Ginormous Food. This yeah. mother. And I was like, I was so jealous when I saw it in your bio. I go, you motherfucker. Do you talk about <laughs> porn? Food Network is my porn. At night, now, if, I, if I'm hungry and I see the Food Network, dude, it's just as good as just watching Pornhub. Man, watching Beat Bobby Flay? Motherfucker. Beat Bobby yeah. Flay yeah, is I my you porn. Episode. I was a judge on an episode of Beat Bobby Flay. Got Were you really? Down. Yeah, yeah. Everything I did with Food Network, they took down, though. How, how, how was Bobby? Was he, was he a dick? Great. He's was great. He? Okay. Yeah. Well, what's funny is I did Bobby Flay. Um, I did Bobby Flay, like, towards the end of my time at Food Network. And, and I remember having a conversation with him and saying, like, I don't think they're going to pay us pay you know pay us the raise we asked for because the show was a hit it was doing really great numbers and i was a new face on the network and i and i think people gravitated to the fact that i wasn't a chef like i wasn't some tattooed you know like classic chef i was a comedian and i was silly and funny and and um and uh there were two things that i wanted to do differently if we were to continue working with the food network was i wanted to kind of inject a little bit more of myself into the show because it was very much like you're going to do what we tell you. We're going to, you're going to say what we tell you just, and, and I felt like they took a lot of my own ideas and personality out of it. And then I wanted to be paid somewhat adequately, yeah. you know, based on the number of ratings that we were doing. And they were just like, no to both. And so I was like, okay, well, we'll just, we'll go out on the market and, and just, you know, now that I have this, this credit and resume, under my belt uh maybe i can go out and pitch some shows to other networks and do something that's like a little bit more close to home like and it was funny because so i had this conversation with bobby flay and he goes uh he goes you know um uh he's like they they should pay you he's like rising tide lifts all ships like you're a new you're a new face on the network we need new life we need new blood and, um, you know, we need some youth over here. It's been like the same five people hosting every show yeah. for 10 years. And you bring a new audience. And, um, and you know, so the, I, I, I hope they'll do the right thing. <laughs> and, and they didn't. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and then, and then Duff Goldman said something to me that really resonated um, because I had gotten into it on, on Twitter with Adam Richmond, the original host of Man vs. Food. And... Um, you know, and Duff was like, listen, man, he's like, uh, we, we talked about that. And he's like, ignore Adam. Adam's like this with everybody. He's kind of a passive aggressive dick. And then he was like, how's everything with your show? You know, how's the situation with your contract and everything? Do you, are you guys coming back for, you know, more and more episodes? And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I like it, but I just kind of want to do um, something that's got a little bit more culture and a little bit more soul to it. And he goes, listen, man, all of us come into this world trying to become the next Anthony Bourdain. And you're going to find out real quickly that they just want you to be Guy Fieri. And I was like, Oh, that kind of stung. And then, and then, it, but it's funny because you look at Duff's career and Duff just is on food network all the time. He's like a judge on everything. Yeah. Like if you were like, who's Duff Goldman? Really? You wouldn't be able to really ascertain that from his shows. He's just sort of like a company man. And so I kind of had to decide, like, do you just want to be a company man and, and host these shows and be, you know, the fucking whitest, f most flavorless vanilla ever? <laughs> Or do you, you know, do you want to be yourself? And I was like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to be some vanilla, you know, TV host. That's what I fucking love about you, man. You've always been yourself. You've, I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not even kissing ass. It's just the truth because you paid the price. I mean, you've gone, you know, you've oh, had yeah. your lawsuits and you've, and you, you, I mean, you've, you've tweeted what you felt like. I mean, honestly, you were honest with, like I said, it's not a fucking it's not the facade like, you know, I'm going to be this person, so I'll get, you know, I'll get viewers or I'll get, you know, these followers. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people think that it's like contrived, that I'm trying to be some sort of edgelord. And listen, like, I don't always, 
my ideas and my thoughts don't always come out the best way. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, trust me. I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, but, but um, my heart's always in the right place. Like the whole straight white male tweet in 2018 that kind of blew things up in the beginning for me was like, you know, I was noticing a trend in Hollywood, which was a very sort of in my bubble thing of like, just this sort of open racism towards white people. And I was just like, you know, this isn't progress. You know, if we're just going to start picking new groups to be racist towards collectively in society, we're just, we're never going to outrun this thing. It's just going to be one that whoever's in power is then going to oppress the person who's not in power. And, and um, you know, it's just like, it, it's just wrong. Like whether you think there's some level of like, um, well, uh, it's the old two wrongs don't make a right, right? That we grew up hearing as children. And it's like this idea that you're somehow going to um, reward black people by punishing white people in the entertainment industry. It's like, no, no, no. Give black people everything that they deserve and that they should have and that you've denied them of. But don't do that by taking away from these other groups. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to pit us against each other. No one knows how to run this motherfucker, man. And I mean, if like, we said it best. Common sense. I mean, no one knows how to run this. I mean, yeah, you don't have to go like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take this way. So you guys get all this, you know, wink, wink. And then you go, can you believe we, you know, I'm sorry you're white, but this has got, we, we got to give these guys this so you guys can't have this. And then that's going to develop more animosity. And then, yes. and now you're almost back to square one. Yes, exactly. It's just like, you're just, all you're doing is, is pitting these sides against each other. Yes. And, um, you know, my buddy Sam Tripoli has this great thing of like race is the thing that the rich get us arguing over so that they can stay in power. And he's so right about that. It's like, uh, you know, they, they make us believe that uh, both of us in impoverished circumstances are each other's enemy and that the system and the state is not our common enemy. And they would be terrified if black people and white people came together and realized that the government is our enemy that Hollywood is our enemy, that the media is our enemy, because the minute we do that, we take our country back. And that is what they're trying to prevent from happening with us uh, across the board. I had this great uh, two-part episode uh, uh, podcast on my podcast, Jankum. I love Jankum, by the way. Fucking hey, that, That's brilliant. The name is brilliant. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. Um but with a guy named Bertrand Cooper, uh, and he's he's uh, his name on Twitter is Black Trash, but he caught a lot of heat because he wrote an article about how the push for diversity in Hollywood is actually not diverse if you start to do a little research. And you find out that all the black people that are getting these TV show deals and film deals and everything else in Hollywood are not socioeconomically the black people that need opportunity or that have not been getting opportunity. They took instead of giving TV shows and comedy specials and all of these documentaries and whatever to Ivy league white kids, they just started giving it to Ivy league black kids. And so when you look at the socioeconomics of who's getting these shows, you're not seeing people coming from uh, a real impoverished background. You're finding out that like, Oh, this, the, this black woman that they're trotting out is like, isn't she a great, comedic mind and you're like yeah she her family worked for the obamas like they grew up <laughs> affluent like you're not we want we want everyday black voices in media and in you know and it's like a great example is like for for a killer like you to not be given the opportunity to do specials in, in hollywood and then there could be like some some uh mixed kid who went to stanford <laughs> who checks the diversity box yeah. um who's shit at comedy it's two fucking hour long special deals on Netflix. It's like, are we really, is it really diversity and inclusion? Or are you just fucking checking the box with people that still go to your country club or still go to school with your kids? And so he was like, you can, he basically, and I don't want to butcher his words. People should go check out his work. And he, he's, he wrote a book on it that's coming out, but he wrote a real great piece that essentially like shows you, uh, I know you like Issa Rae and I know you like Insecure, but here's Issa's background. And is she really the voice of modern Black America or is she the voice of a certain upper echelon of modern Black America? And he got a lot of criticism from other Black people because he took this stance and wrote this story. And I asked him, like, what was it? And he goes, well, you know, being the product of an interracial marriage growing up. Um, and he goes, you know, I had a dad who dealt drugs and a dad who was you know, in and out of the prison system. And my mom was a drug addict. And so I had these problems. He goes, and then when I started to get into college, 
I started realizing that the people that were speaking up about the black experience didn't have it. They didn't have any, they didn't know what it was like to come from a real impoverished background or whatever. And he goes, so people looked at me because I was mixed or light skinned and assumed that I had the least amount of actual experience in, in the, that socioeconomic bracket. And the reality is, is I was the only one in, in my, my um, academic circles who had real life experience with these things. And so I found that the people who were chosen to be speaking on my behalf really knew nothing about the world that I came from. And he was, I encountered it in academia. And then I started noticing that same trend in Hollywood. And we had a really great uh, two-part episode of my podcast where we talked about all of that. Josh, we got to go. God damn it. I knew it was going to be this way because I, I, I did. I know. But that's what I like about this because we get it in and it makes you want more instead of like fizzling out like all right, people are like, is this thing going to be in? And like, it makes you want more. God damn it. We're going to do a part two. I don't know when, but we're going to definitely do a part two. Yeah, I'd Fuck love it. to have you on mine. Uh, Fuck yeah. I would love <laughs> yeah. to. Dude, I would love to. I mean, I mean, I'm not just saying this shit. We'd love to do a Jinkum. If you guys, Josh Denny, his podcast Jinkum is great. He's going to be June 25th in Orlando on Censored TV. Uh, tell him, tell him about what the, what the comedy thing is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Censored TV Presents. So I do a show called Next Week Tonight where we sort of roast uh, news shows and kind of mock news shows on Censored TV. And then me and, and Gavin from Censored and Anthony Cumia will all be doing a live show June 25th in Orlando, Florida. So people can go to my website, joshdennycomedy.com um, and get tickets there for that event. It's uh, it's the first real big show that I've done since the shutdown. So I did a couple small ones last year and uh, I just hated the travel with still all the restrictions yeah. and hotels and everything with COVID protocols. So I haven't really gone out and done the road a lot, but uh, I'll be running a lot of new material. And my hope is to try to shoot a special by the end of the year, just do it independently um, so I'll be running a lot of that new stuff on this on this tour this summer. Well, that's going to be good because I like about that is just the rawness of it. And if, if for some reason, you can't you comics can't explain it, but that newness and that rawness, and you can't wait to get to it. Crowds love that. I love that, and you just can't explain it. But it's that electricity of wanting to get it out, and it's not all the way polished. But that's what makes it beautiful, and that's what makes comedy beautiful. God damn it, Josh Denny. Great fucking talking. We'll definitely have a part two. Go to his, uh, go to his podcast, Jinkum. Go see him when, June 25th when he goes to Orlando. Follow him, joshdenny.com on Instagram, Josh Denny. Thank you, Josh, man. Great talking Thank to you, you, brother. You food network ginormous eater motherfucker. I appreciate <laughs> you, man. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini. You like, you know how I like to say about this time. You know the word. Pay.